listening to World Talk Radio, where the world comes to talk. In 1991, a stretch of the Petersburg battlefield, Virginia, lay unpreserved, open to development, at risk. Today, in 2008, that land is part of what is now called the Pamplin Historical Park and the National Museum of the Civil War Soldier. It's one of the great stories in Civil War preservation and interpretation, and we're going to hear about it today from the director of that institution, A. Wilson Green, on Civil War Talk Radio. Everyone faces conflict at home, at work, in the community, in the world. Fix Your Conflicts is a show about how to fix those conflicts with practical tips and techniques. Doug Knoll brings to the Internet airwaves the first of its kind, a show that teaches peaceful resolution to life's daily battles. That's Fix Your Conflicts with Doug Knoll, broadcasting live every Monday at 11 a.m. Pacific on World Talk Radio Studio A. Marissa, are you ready yet? I know you can hear me. You are not missing school again. Marissa! You trying to be a nobody or something? Let's go! Alright then. Hit it. I know you can hear this. Hey guys, move closer. Girl, I am not leaving. Hey, whatever it takes, don't let your friends drop out. A real friend can make all the difference. Cut that noise, yo! I'm coming! Took you long enough. Thanks for the help, guys. For more ways to help, go to OperationGraduation.com. A public service message from the U.S. Army and the Ad Council. World Talk Radio, bringing the world to you. Welcome to Civil War Talk Radio. I'm Jerry Prokopovich, coming to you from the rain-drenched campus of East Carolina University in Greenville, North Carolina, on a cloudy February day in 2008, 199 years after the birth of Abraham Lincoln, still keeping busy uh, on the Lincoln Trail, giving talks and uh, celebrating the beginning of the Lincoln Bicentennial, which will stretch on for the next the next two weeks, next two years, rather. only seems like two weeks. Um, I, I was, uh, just before doing this show, spent the previous hour uh, at the other end of the interview line doing a phone interview about the book, Did Lincoln Own Slaves?, and other frequently asked questions about Abraham Lincoln. Uh, this is for a radio station in uh, Champaign, Urbana, Illinois, and they took a lot of live calls, and people there were very curious about Abraham Lincoln, had lots of great questions, and it was fun to be on the show. And then after 55 minutes of that, to hang up the phone, call right back, and pick up on the other end and be the interviewer. Here I am with Civil War Talk Radio, uh, so excited I forgot to introduce myself at the beginning there, but uh, if you found this, you you know me, um, and uh, you'll, you'll soon know our guest today as well. I'm 
also, uh, well, while we're beating the drums for Did Lincoln Own Slaves, a reminder, the uh, Lincoln World Tour continues with uh, March 1, 2008, the Longwood Seminar at Appomattox, Virginia. Listeners to this show can find Appomattox on any number of battle maps. Uh, find your way there. There will be a day-long seminar with uh, many interesting speakers, and I'll take a few minutes of your time there and be happy to sign books and talk about Did Lincoln Own Slaves and uh, see the park and do other things. And then on March 5th, Wednesday, March 5th, right here in Greenville, North Carolina, at the local Barnes & Noble, this will also uh, get me out of my Wednesday night commitment to practice soccer with the men's over-40 soccer team, which went down to Wilmington a couple weekends ago and got beat four games in a row. Uh, we need practice, but <clears throat> any excuse I can find to give a talk or do something to avoid having to run that much, uh, I'm, I'm all in favor of it. Our team has recently passed a rule based on my appearances on, on radio or elsewhere that anyone appearing in the newspaper for any reason, including obituary, must mention the soccer team or has to buy the drinks after the next game. Uh, so if you see my coach, tell him, yeah, I mentioned Greenville Stars, uh, we rock. Um, well, enough of that. The uh, good news for Civil War Talk Radio to share this week before we launch into our subject is that uh, we are continuing to work on these shows long-term future, and hopefully we'll be able to get it settled down here uh, in the present web location uh, with the possibility of a sponsor coming on board. I'm very excited about this, partly for the stability it would give us at the show, partly uh, largely because a sponsor would bring new commercials, and instead of reminding all of you not to drop out, as you were reminded before the show today, and I hope you won't drop out of high school if any of you are, are in high school still. Um, but instead of that reminder that we frequently get, uh, we may get some Civil War-related commercials on some very important topics uh, that we could all support. So if, uh, if you have any kind of business that might conceivably benefit from communicating with thousands of like-minded people, with an interest in history, particularly, or if you have a nonprofit, even better, uh, get in touch, and, and we'd love to have sponsors who can uh, bring content to the show as, as well as uh, provide provide sponsorship support. And uh, we'll indeed be talking today with someone who's involved with the Civil War in a sort of entrepreneurial uh, direction, and that's what we're going to do. Right now, as we turn to our guest, uh, A. Wilson Green, director of the Pamplin Park, uh, the Civil War, uh, the Pamplin Historical Park in the National Museum of the Civil War Soldier. Uh, Will, are you there? I am. Uh, this has been the easiest interview I've ever had to do, Jerry. I just thought I would listen to you about your soccer team for the rest of the hour. Well, I would love to do that. I've gotten some complaints in the past when I go on a little too long with uh, self-indulgent blather. But, hey, it's my show, and my response to those who don't like it is, go get your own show. Um, I can do that because it's, it's a nonprofit. You know, uh, actually, that's not true. Uh, having worked in a nonprofit museum, I know that uh, good relations with the customers, the visitors, is first and foremost, and uh, one cannot afford to take anyone for granted. But uh, I, I don't want to take all your time with, with my talk. I do want to talk to you about, uh, about the absolutely fascinating institution that, that you run, um, but let me start at the beginning. Uh, how did how did you get to be a museum director? What uh, what brought you to that path? 
Well, I was, uh, uh, I'm over 40 as well, I will leave it at that, but I was growing up at a time when uh, uh, it was not all that popular to go into the law, and I was uh, on a pre-law curriculum at Florida State University where I did my undergraduate work and had fully intended to continue on to grad or to law school, but I got interested in, in American history and explored ways that I could turn that that interest into into an actual vocation and I was drawn to the public history field as opposed to the academic history field I've always liked teaching with places and I've always liked the the concept of the intersection between preservation and education and so uh, that interest led me to uh, the National Park Service where I served for 16 years at a variety of sites and then we uh, we began an organization in my living room in 1987 called the Association for the Preservation of Civil War Sites, which was a real grassroots effort, uh, the first such effort to raise private funds for the purpose of preserving civil war sites through purchase, acquisition. And that organization uh, succeeded splendidly, and uh, I left the National Park Service to run that organization for five years. And uh, that is now the Civil War Preservation Trust, which some of your listeners may be members of or very familiar with. It. An outstanding, an outstanding uh, legacy that that uh, of, of our little effort back in the in the 80s and 90s. And when I was serving as uh, as uh, president at APCWS, we became aware of a, of a preservation project down here in Dinwiddie County, Virginia, just outside of Petersburg. We're about 31 miles south and a little west of Richmond, where, incidentally, uh, Jefferson Davis was inaugurated president of the Confederacy on this date back in 1862. Uh, Well, let me interrupt you just for a second. Your voice is fading out in a sort of cyclical way. Oh, my goodness. In and out. So if you just want to just keep shouting into the phone. Okay. I will attempt to to make sure that I'm talking into the receiver here. There we go. And and, uh, you mentioned the Civil War Preservation Trust. And uh, um, it, I, I was talking about potential sponsors, and that's an organization that we would love to have as a, a sponsor for this show. And, and uh, uh, negotiations are underway. That's great. They do they do wonderful work, and uh, I would I would certainly encourage any of your listeners who are interested in preserving Civil War sites to uh, to look into into the CWPT. They do they do great work. Yes. So I'm sorry. Go ahead, please. Well, anyway, I was trying to. I, you had asked me about how, kind of how I how I came to where I am here today, and very serendipitous because uh, the the acreage that uh, was down here in Dinwiddie County came on the market and was uh, probably going to be uh, purchased by a timber company for the, the pulpwood value. Uh, and we thought it was a, a good project for our organization back in 1991 and did a little homework and found that this 100 acres was a portion of a farm owned by the Boysaw family prior to and during the Civil War, who were the direct ancestors of the Robert Pamplin family, uh, then of, now of Portland, Oregon, who uh, had uh, quite a reputation as philanthropists here because the Pamplins had, Mr. Pamplin had gone on from a very humble childhood here in Didwee to become the uh, sixth employee of what was, uh, what became Georgia Pacific Corporation and ran Georgia Pacific for decades. 
developed a fortune and, and has become a great philanthropist. So I did the logical thing that any fundraiser would do and contacted these folks uh, out of the blue with a suggestion, I think, for a challenge grant or something like that. And a couple of weeks went by and I heard nothing, figuring that, you know, win them all. And then my secretary told me that uh, Mr. Pamplin was on the phone and that he said uh, when I picked up the phone that he had received our letter and had uh, thought it over and didn't want to make a donation. I was temporarily disappointed, and mm-hmm. then he said we'd like to buy the land ourselves and turn it into a public park. Wow. So I tried to act like that was a phone <laughs> call that I received every day, and in the meanwhile I was doing the, the hearty fist pump, you know, uh, by, the, by the chair arm. And that led to uh, to an arrangement we had with the Pamplin Foundation, the charitable arm of their of their company, to operate to, to plan, uh, oversee the construction of, and operate the first incarnation of what is now Pamplin Historical Park, which we opened in in 1994. And uh, from there, the Pamplins decided that uh, they liked what had gone on thus far, and they really wanted to raise the stakes and. In uh, Dr. Pamplin's words to me, uh, build a world-class Civil War site, the best, uh, the best Civil War site in the country. And uh, he asked me to come down full-time to uh, try to realize his vision. And that was in the uh, fall of 1994, and here it is uh, 13 and a half years later. And, and uh, thanks to Dr. Pamplin's vision, we have come a long way. Well, you, you certainly have it, and... and that mark of being the top Civil War site in the country is, is one you uh, certainly uh, are competing for, if not clearly there already. Uh, it, it is really a remarkable place. So in 1994, you had about 100 acres. Uh, did you have a building at that point? We did. We built, uh, we built a structure that uh, has been uh, reinvented as our battlefield center today, which is the place where we interpret the... The, the breakthrough of uh, April 2nd, 1865, which is a national historic landmark, uh, the highest historic uh, recognition that the federal government gives to a, to a privately owned site, uh, in, during which the Union Sixth Corps attacked at dawn and broke General Lee's lines here after nine and a half months of campaigning around Petersburg, which led immediately to A.P. Hill's death and the evacuation that night of Richmond and Petersburg. Uh, we had used that building to uh, to interpret that battle today, but in, in 1994, it was our sole visitor facility. It's a, a, an innovative building made out of uh, all poured concrete in the shape of the Confederate earthworks that are, that are here in the park. And uh, uh, we just had about a mile of interpretive trails at that time, uh, this small interpretive center, and uh, and I think we had three three employees here. Uh, today we have 422 acres, four museums, four original historic structures on their original sites, ten reconstructed historic structures, and a staff of 63. That is quite a, a, a success story. The the Battlefield Center, which was your your original interpretive building, you say it's in the shape of earthworks and. Uh, you know, visitors, listeners might want to look at it online at, at pamplinpark.org. Uh, but it's it's a unique building. It is from a distance. It looks like sort sort of a jagged row of uh, entrenchments. Well, the idea the we we had gone into the to the architectural design 
uh, charrettes with uh, with the notion that we were not going to build uh, your basic uh, visitor center box like building. We wanted something that would be unusual and would be sort of interpretive in its own right. And the and what we came up with was this was this structure that whose front facade, as you described, is a series of peaks and, and valleys which if laid on their side flat would mirror the outline of the Confederate fortifications within the park. In other words, the, the high points would be the, the salience in the line, the low points would be the re-entrant angles in the line, and uh, it does take a little bit of explanation to, to get it. Uh, we, my, my good friend, the dentist down the road here, was telling everybody it was the new Dinwiddie County sewage treatment plant for a while, which <laughs> caused some uh, concern. But uh, it is a clever, it's a cleverly designed building, and uh, on the inside it's a, f- a fully modern museum structure with a theater and, and interactive exhibits and a wonderful uh, diorama, a huge diorama from the 1930s that um, was the original interpretive map for Petersburg National Military Park, which we rescued from the wall of the student center at the local junior college and refurbished and, and is now a, both a, a object as well as a, a, a museum object as well as a teaching tool. It, it, it's uh, For those of us with a museum uh, interest, sometimes seeing old museums is fascinating because they are museums of museum technology. Absolutely. Uh, and and this, this map is an example of that. Uh, I, I would guess many of our listeners are familiar with the, the Gettysburg electric map at the visitor center there and that is as much a relic of the 1950s uh, and a state of understanding of the battle as it is a, a useful guide to the battle itself. Well, as, my, as I understand it, uh, the National Park Service, which had taken over the historic sites uh, from the War Department in the 1930s, uh, contracted with a number of out-of-work artists um, and, and model makers in the 1930s, I think under the auspices of the WPA, and put these men and women to work building these three-dimensional dioramas uh, for many national parks. And uh, I remember seeing one out west years ago, but most of them have disappeared. I guess it was sort of the standard exhibit in many of the national parks in the 1930s, state-of-the-art, as you indicate, Mm -hmm. uh, 60 years ago, uh, and still a remarkably interesting a contoured look at this huge campaign that was fought in 1864 and 65 around Petersburg. Well, they are. For some people, uh, it, it's a psychological thing, but for some people, the, the diorama, the miniature view of things is, is just the best way to learn about it. It just, it just makes it all concrete and, and understandable, and, and I very much enjoyed seeing that map when I was there. Well, you know, you're right about, you talk about the, the evolution of museum exhibits in historic sites, and uh, the National Park Service also had a huge exhibit building program in the 1950s and 60s that they called Mission 66, which was designed to upgrade the visitor facilities in the national parks in time for the 50th anniversary of the National Park Service. And as a part of those exhibit plans, almost all of the parks had these dioramas. And uh, they were the most popular exhibits uh, in any of these museums, these visitor centers. And when the National Park Service began replacing those 40-year-old exhibits uh, this century, 
um, many people were sorry to see that old technology of the dioramas go away. Well, I'm glad you're able to rescue one. We're going to take a short break, and we'll come back in just a minute. We're talking with A. Wilson Green, director of the Pamplin Historical Park and National Museum of the Civil War Soldier. We'll be back in just a moment on Civil War Talk Radio. 